0: Hello friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more and thank you for being an avid listener. Like going to the doctor and saying, I hurt everywhere. And he or she says, well, where specifically? And you say, I don't know, everywhere. You can't fix that. And so I think diagnosing your career happiness follows the same logic. You've got to know what to fix before you can really start moving forward.
1: Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is give a review wherever you listen. Today's guest is Julie Bauke. She is my neighbor, but that's not why I booked her. She's the president of the Bauke Group and the one person in my life that I go to when I need career advice. You're going to love this episode because you're going to see how all the things we used to think a boss shouldn't do with an employee for their career is exactly what we should be doing to retain and attract top talent. Hi, Julie Bauke. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. Thank you. I am super excited to talk to you because A, I like you, and B, (sighs) uh, you're a real-life friend, and now we're neighbors. We live in the same building. Um, And uh, the stuff you've been working on lately is super, super important, I think. So thanks so much for being here.
0: Well, I am thrilled to talk to you. And see you online as well as in the hallways of our building. So it's a <laughs> double treat.
1: Yes. And you have tons of content on LeaderCast through the years. I've uh, been such a respected voice on our platform. And I get texts and emails from people that say, I watched this Julie Bauke video and it was so helpful. So thanks for being a part of LeaderCast for so long. Uh, for those of you who, aren- who don't know your story though, could you tell us a little bit of uh, how you got your start and where you are, what you're into these days?
0: Yeah, so I got my start in human resources uh, for 15 years and really was more interested in the career aspect of people than I was the comp and benefits and all that. And I just was so fascinated by why people stay in jobs they hate for so long, how they'd rather complain than actually do something about it. So when I got the opportunity to work with people, I worked with a global career services provider. I did that for about nine years and I worked with people who would just been let go. And what I found was that a lot of people who'd been laid off were very unhappy in their jobs. And I thought, well, that can't be a coincidence. And so I would ask a lot of them why they would say to me, yeah, they did me a favor. I hated that job. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say, well, you know, tell me why you stayed. And I found out that it really came down to three things, fear, lack of confidence, and just a general, I don't know what I'd do next so I'm just going to stay here till I figure it out. The problem was there was never any progress toward figuring it out. Yes. So I started my own thing in 2007 because I got, I got, it was sort of like Groundhog Day, dealing with people every day who who'd just been laid off. And I wanted to be more in the strategic space. How do you prevent those layoffs? How do you make sure you are in the right job all the time? What questions should you be asking yourself? And so I've been working in that space for about 16 years And interestingly, the whole manager career where you are is really just becoming a part of the conversation. So I like to say I was on the painful, bleeding edge of realizing the need for those conversations every day, not just on the days when you're miserable.
1: For sure, and when when we when I first met you, I know you, you talk about career happiness a lot, and uh, I will yeah. uh, confess without any of the details that you've helped me along the way. Sometimes, as I've tried to figure out just personally, is this is this the right step for me, and is this where I want to go yeah. in my career? Um, Before we kind of jump to like, I want to spend a lot of time th- talking about your learnings specifically, like through the pandemic and now, and and how things maybe have shifted a little. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned three ways that people. They, they don't kind of take action, um, when they're, when they're not happy. But anything else before we kind of jump to where, what you're working on now around the general idea of career happiness? If my hunch is there's already people listening to this podcast in their car five minutes in thinking, I don't think I'm very happy <laughs> in my career. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. what's like the best yeah. of, of, of those last, uh, 15 years that you've learned about being happy.
0: So, so I, I created this thing called a career happiness formula and it's like a stool with four legs and all four of the legs need to be attached sturdily or the whole thing's going to fall over. And so the four legs are, and and so, so you have to figure out which one of these is missing in order to know what to start fixing. So the first is you need to like what you do. You need to like it. If you're fortunate, you love it. You also need to be good at it or great at it. If you like to do it, but you're not good at it, that's a problem. If you're good at it and you don't like it, that's a problem. The third leg of the stool is you need to be paid for what you do. So in other words, when I say paid, there it's what do you need to make? And then what does the market pay for this type of a role? And so you have to be in the right place from a compensation standpoint so that you can live the life you need to live. And so you need to get paid for it. So if I have a hobby that I like it and I'm good at it, but the market's not looking for to pay me to do those things, it falls apart. And the fourth one, which is really the big one is, is, is in a place you need to be working in a place and a way in which you can be successful. That's just a lot of words to say culture Mm -hmm. and everything that wraps up into that whether it's do you get along with your coworkers? Do you believe in the mission and values of your organization? What's your relationship like with your boss? And are you in the right place? And if you really think about it and do some testing around that, you realize that all four of those things have to be working simultaneously. If one of them isn't, the whole stool falls over. And so I use that as a way for people to say, okay, this is the thing that's not working for me. Then you know where to start fixing versus like going to the doctor and saying, I hurt everywhere. And he or she says, well, where specifically? And you say, I don't know everywhere. You can't fix that. And yeah. so I think diagnosing your career happiness follows the same, follows the same logic. You've got to know what's thick, what to fix before you can really start moving forward.
1: I love that. And I, I would say, as I think through my life, I've had each leg of the stool has had its season, of needing worked on yeah. and, uh, and probably a couple of times we're all four of them. We're, we're a little shaky. Uh, but, um, yeah. but it's, it's certainly is helpful to think through those things. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is a lot, a pattern that has developed on the podcast done 25, 30 episodes since we came back. It's interesting that a lot of the quote successful people, uh, spend a lot of their twenties doing the sort of thing that they just loved. Uh, and they were good at, and a lot of focus on that. A lot of them were artists and musicians and like me an actor. And, uh, and then you sort of Mm -hmm. start to butt up into, you know, this is great for this stage of my life, but maybe I can't make a living doing, and you start to ask those other questions as you get a little older, perhaps for some people.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so I, you know, I think we need to look at our careers having chapters, what rather than just one long slog up the same ladder or along yeah. the same path. And that can be a chapter in which you're learning about yourself. You're learning what works, you're learning what doesn't, and it can inform and be a platform for what's next. And so the, you know, the, the old boomer model of, you know, pick one job at 22. You know, when we ask an 18 year old, what are you going to do with your life? That's really an unfair question. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, then we major in something, and we're expected to do it for forty plus years, and that that makes no sense. That's why there are so many people unhappy at work, and have been, and why the engagement numbers are so low. It's because people never learned how to manage their careers and how to make smart moves, not just jump when the fire got too hot, because that, that you're never going to land well in that case.
1: Developing world-class leaders in your community is now easier than ever with LeaderCast. In addition to our flagship May event, becoming a presenting partner allows you to stream multiple events per year, each with an opportunity to earn money. The new LeaderCast lets you invite 1 to 1,000 people with unlimited streaming opportunities. Check out more at LeaderCast.com or the link in our bio. Love it. I also, uh, you can spend some time with my 21-year-old when you get back.
0: Is Anytime. Him? Send him up. He's 21, right? It's he's like graduating like an, like an, uh, from
1: college like this he- year, and he's a great kid. And, uh, he probably doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can say whatever I want, but he's he's a great kid.
0: <laughs> he probably uh, doesn't listen to you. <laughs>
1: but him and so many of his friends, you know, I, I would say, and maybe it's just personality, but maybe it's generational. I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I graduated from college. Uh, it turned out it wasn't what I was supposed to do with my life, but I tried it. Um, and a lot of him and a lot of his friends really have no idea. Like got a college, like he, he really doesn't have an idea. So, you know, my encouragement to him is just start walking some direction and you'll, you'll figure it out, but it, it, but it feels kind of paralyzing. Make the best decision
0: you can. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And learn from it. What did I like about this? What did I not like? What do I want to do more of? What do I want to do less of? What do I now know I never want to do again? Right. I mean, I'm sure. You can look back in your career and say, wow, you know, that I shouldn't have said yes to that. Yeah. Or wow, I wasn't very good at that. Or times when you ignored your own gut about what you're good at and what you love to do, and followed somebody else's advice, which is really, I mean, nobody knows you better than you. And so your advice from parents, from you know, friends, from colleagues, you should consider those and bring those into your thought process. But there has to be a dose of follow your heart in there as well, yeah. because you, you know you and you know what you like. And as long as you keep, as you pivot, you keep moving more toward that. And also consider that you're going to be different at 32, 42 and 52 and yeah. 62 yeah. than you are at 22 and be open to that and not put so much pressure on yourself that you have to pick the end all and the be all right now. And then never deviate is uh, just a recipe for unhappiness, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think you've figured that out. That's what your life work has been. Here's what I'm most fascinated about, though, what I want to talk about the most, yeah. because it, uh, I'll say what I feel like is happening. I know we've had one-on-one conversations about this, and then you say it better. How's that? So what, what feels like is happening okay. <laughs> is uh, for years and years and years, uh, the, the kind of work that you did with folks and people like you have done before you was often an individual sort of thing where you realize you're not happy in your career and you have to be kind of secretive about the whole situation because you don't want to lose your job. So you go find a career coach or someone to kind of help you figure out what you want to do. And you make your own personal plan, uh, to, you know, have the courage and to go try something else or whatever. But it, it my perception is it's often something you kind of want to hide from your boss for the most part. Um, because in the, in the old way of thinking, perhaps we don't want to give any indication that we're not happy here or like anything like that. What it, it feels like a major shift has happened in my mind in the last however many years to organizations that are starting to really get ahead of that um, and and help their employees figure out what they want to do more, even if it means risking they might go somewhere else. Um, tell me if I'm kind of on base with that, and specifically, is that what you're seeing and and have you noticed a shift or am I just way way behind <laughs>
0: I think we are at the beginning of that. And I hope that that becomes something that is widespread. A progressive organization actually gets that. They understand that when you give people the tools and the language and you open up and create the kind of culture and you open up a conversation with someone around, what do you want to do more of here? Then you are not only that is such a major component of retention and engagement, but the fear sometimes with non-progressive organizations is if we give people these tools, they will leave. Yeah. And, you know, I saw, I, it's interesting. I've thought this way since 2007, but the world just finally started catching up. And so we created actually a, a, a whole program from start to finish that gives your people the tools, the language, the process, the hard questions to figure out what they want And then it ends with a one-page career plan that you can go then talk to your boss about. Hmm. And you know, what, what's the opposite of that is what we see with a lot of, especially Gen Z and younger millennials is that they look at their boss as their career mommy or career daddy. And the problem is your boss probably doesn't know how to manage his or her career. So why exactly, you know, and, and, so you're like, what do I want, what do I want to do now? Well, you know, I'm ready to move. I want more responsibility. They can't, but they can't answer the question more responsibility for what? Yeah. All they know is they want more or different. The problem is with this generation, a lot of times they'll just leave. If they, and I've talked to some Gen Z people and they're like, I'm just going to quit. I'm like, well, why? Well, I'm not getting what I want. Well, what do you want? Well, I don't know. Well, (laughs) That's stupid, you know. So, so you have to you have to have a process. We're just piloting this at a company in Cincinnati, and they started with one Gen Z person who was really, really anxious for more, and he was kind of driving people crazy with "I want more, more, more." And so they put him through our program, and he went, "Wow, okay, I get it now. I know myself better. I know how to talk about myself better. I know what I want." And he said, you know, we need to bring this to the rest of the organization, which is exciting because, you know, this career, I always say it's called your career for a reason.
1: Yeah, it is yours. Yeah,
0: you can't outsource it. But but there's a skill a knowledge gap there because nobody ever taught us how to do that. I mean, nobody taught me. I had to figure it out myself through trial and error and through seeing people mess it up. And I thought, what is the process? To help someone figure out their role. And then the next question is, can I get it where I am? Yeah. And the it, it's going to be, the answer is going to be yes, a lot of the times. But when it's no, as an organization, that shouldn't freak you out as much as it does because you know that person's going to end up leaving. Do you really want them sitting around wasting time and taking up a seat if they aren't really committed to being there? I mean, the lack of engagement is always between 60 and 70%. In terms of people who aren't engaged in what they do, that is crippling from a productivity, a culture, morale standpoint. Smart organizations say, let's figure out how we can help people get what they want here, but also make it okay if they can't get what they want here to go find some place else they can get it. That's how you build a, a culture of retention and engagement. Study after study bears this out. People are like, we gotta keep raising salaries. like, No, you don't. You know, salary is in the middle of the pack when you look at what people want. But it's easier to raise salary in some ways than it is to create an entire culture change around how do we build this culture around retention and engagement and career management? How do you figure out what you want? And so when things started to change here in the last year, What happened was it was so interesting. I got a call from a company who said, we want, our people want career management tools that they can navigate, use to navigate our organization. Can you help us? And what do they say when someone asks you a question like that? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then you go figure it out. Right. So we did it for this this big company and it was so successful that I was like, oh my God, like I... (laughs) So we said st- it was so successful and I'm still doing work with them. And we said, how do we take this and make it available to progressive organizations people, and, and individuals as well? So if you're sitting between jobs, you're like, I don't know what to do next. Or you're sitting at a company. I don't know what to do next. Um, how do you how do you figure it out yourself? And so we created a process and made it incredibly affordable to figure this out themselves, no matter where they're sitting. And then for organizations to bring it in. And start to create those conversations around the right language. And that's where we are. And it's where we need to be. But we're just starting to tiptoe into that. But to me, it's really exciting. But I also get that it's really scary when you're used to leaving an organization in the old way, which frankly is not working anymore.
1: Right. And I think there's a shift for me. I did have a couple young leaders leave our organization. Uh, it was the company I was running before LeaderCast, leader cast. But um, one of them straight up told me, you, you I, I like working here. I like the work. I like you as a boss, but you've, you've never given me a career plan or a pathway. So I'm going to go somewhere where I can find one. Um, and, uh, I was just like, I, I mean, honestly, I didn't really ever think of that as my job. Uh, so, uh, but, but she did and she was a high achiever and she's doing great now and all worked out for her. Um, and I'm rooting for her, but I think that was a shift for me. That was maybe three years ago, you know, of realizing there are a lot of folks coming in that um, certainly my parents weren't thinking that their boss would be their career consultant. Um, I, I had good bosses that I would feel comfortable dancing around it with a lot through when I was younger. I would, and we'll kind of hint, I might not be here forever. What would you, and, and, but I always felt like it was my initiative to try to get a little bit out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it just seems to me like a lot of folks are coming in, assuming my boss is my career guide and yeah. we can yeah. it's not going to do any folks uh I'm Gen X which does exist even though they never talk about it uh generation Aww. X and then like a middle uh, child but but folks <laughs> my age and older I think we can do we can fall into the fallacy of all older generations throughout history that just complain about the younger generation <laughs> or we can yeah. accept the fact that maybe they're onto something maybe all along we should yes. have been helping yes. people you know
0: yes yeah. yes Absolutely. And it's it is the older Gen X and baby boomers who actually get that, that are the ones that are going to be able to attract and retain good people versus. You know, now that COVID's over, let's go back to the way it was. No, mm-hmm. COVID, everything that's happened in the workforce or workplace was happening anyway. Right. COVID just covered it up a little bit. And so now when we go back and you've got these leaders saying, get back in the office or else, that might have worked with baby boomers and Gen X. But with the younger generations, they're like, or what? You know, I have a young friend who was a real star at SpaceX. She's like 30. And Elon Musk came back and said, everybody back in the office. And she went, nope. And she had a new job with ESPN in two days. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's there. I think we're not we're so stuck in the way things were and the way that just because we did it that way doesn't make it right. Look how many miserable people we have. And I love the phrase which um, you we all deserve a career that serves our life.
1: Hmm.
0: And I just I love that because you can't we're in a world now where there are no boundaries. You you know, back in the back in the day, if your boss wanted to get a hold of you at night they had to get out the white pages and look you up and call you they weren't going to do that now we have situations where people feel tethered to their jobs 24/7 yeah and that's not healthy yeah. it's just not and and so it, it that, that to me that means it's more of an imperative than ever that your work serve your life because if you hate your job it is out there in the fringes of your consciousness 24/7 Versus being able to walk home at five 30, put your briefcase down and not think about it till eight o'clock the next morning. You had a divide. There are no divides anymore. And so that imperative for career happiness is even more significant. It's not just a pie in the sky. I think it's a necessity to live the kind of life you want and have the impact on the world you want.
1: I'm always, I love it. You get me fired up. Uh, the, uh, I think some folks are probably wanting me to go back and ask that one page thing you were talking about with my career plan on it. Yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what that is? And we'll make sure at the end here, you can direct people to your website or wherever they can get yeah. help with that. Yeah. But what, I, I mean, I'm fascinated. We've talked about it some, but I don't know exactly what, what's on that page. Uh, you know, how how do you get your whole life kind of narrowed down to one, one yeah. page?
0: <laughs> so what we do in the program is we walk you through a process. Yeah. There are, Three videos, more Julie than you could ever imagine, um, much more than you want, case studies, examples, and then a workbook that you work through. There's seven steps to intentional career management. And so we walk you through each one of those, explain what it is, and then there's questions around it. And then the one-page plan is the output of the workbook. And so it literally is something that says, here's who I am professionally. Here are my best skills and strengths. Here's how people see me. Here are my professional and personal priorities. Here's how I think I can be a best use and to this organization, as well as, you know, in the world in general. And here's some of my thoughts about what I want to do more of less of never again. And so by, but you can see where if you just start with that one pager, you're not going to get the right answers because there those are really big questions. Like who are you professionally? That's a big question, right? (laughs) I mean, it's like, and very few of us can articulate that. It's a, it's a variation of tell me about yourself. And most people just verbally vomit and hope that something sticks. And, and so it's really a tight statement that says, here's who I am. Here's what's here's, here's what you get when you hire me or you promote me. Then we also talk about how do people see you? Because I might think I'm a great singer and I am not. And no one in my life would say that I am. Right. And so there has to be that both sides of that that says, you know, here's, here's who I am. Here's, what, and, and here's how people see me. Here's my reputation. And then, you know, here's what's most important to me right now in this chapter. And here's what I think I can bring forward. And here's what I want more of. And And frankly, you know, when you say to when you're let's say you're inside an organization and there's a piece that says, here's how. I think I am of value to this organization. You don't just keep me around because I'm fun to have lunch with. There has to be a business value to keep you around. And it, it forces you to get really clear on truly what your brand is, what your value proposition is, who you are and what you want. But it combines that who here's what I want versus you know what's what's of value. And so there's some reality in there too, because. If I want to run a very small nonprofit and make $400,000 a year doesn't work. And so you've got to, there has to be some alignment. And what that does is what that one pager does. It's a starting point for a conversation to say, I've gone through this self-analysis. Here are the things that are most important to me. And here are the things I want. And here's the way I see myself. And here's some real introspection I did. And it starts that conversation With your manager or with who, with potentially, it also starts if you're in a job search, Mm -hmm. it helps you focus on what, what jobs to, what jobs should I be focused on and where should I look? What pond should I fish in? And then um, it helps you from there. It helps your, it helps people help you. It's the opposite of saying, I want more. More what? Yeah. Stuff. That's not helpful. And so at the very least it starts a conversation. Now Gen Z is not known for being able to have actual face-to-face conversations. It's it's they're not quite used to it. They're used to kind of texting everything and doing everything online, doing everything on Slack or wherever it is. And it's it can be a conversation starter to say, you know, here's what I really want. Here's what I think. And it allows your boss to give you that feedback and for you two together to figure out how to help how to help you move through the organization. Or it also allows your boss to say That's not what we're trying to do here. We're going this way and you want to go this way. And so, you know, it's, those are the scariest conversations. And so in our organization version, we have a manager's guide, a manager's video and everything, but those conversations have to start. And I think it has to start at the individual level. And so, yeah, you, you get this one pager that's like, this is me. It's hard work, but Everything worthwhile is hard work. And so when you have this one pager, there's something about self-awareness, self-knowledge and clarity that makes you sit up straighter and be more confident as you move through life and as you move through your professional world. But it's those are scary questions. We are never asked that high school, college, our employers never ask us. And so it really is an inside job that you have to take on yourself. And so we took all of our learnings from the last how I don't know how long and put it into one program from start to finish, that you buy it for an obscenely cheap price, and you own it. And you can go back through it as many times as you want. Because my goal is to get as many people access to what I've learned over the years as I can. And I think it can be used no matter whether you're 22 or 52, whether you're coming out of professional sports or you're an accountant. Because the process of career management, it is industry and profession and age agnostic. Yes. And that's what's so powerful about it.
1: Well, I, I should I feel the need before I say what I'm gonna to say to say this. Uh y- you are not a paid sponsor. Uh I get no kickback on pushing your services. But I, I, I think uh I I I think what you've purposely devoted to and also stumbled upon in the last three yeah. years is uh is such a brilliant evolution of what you bring to the world in my mind, because Uh, you're always who I would send especially high capacity folks to that just wanted to know what they were going to do next. You know, that's how I, that's how I used to think of the great thing you bring to the world and you still bring that, but now you've, you've taken that and made it almost a leadership tool so that uh, it's the opposite of hiding it from my boss in in a perfect world. I walk into my quarterly evaluation uh, and uh, it's probably virtual and there's no actual desk anymore, but my, my, my boss would have my one pager on, her desk. Right. And then I would be coming in with it as well. And what's great to me is that, uh, whoever my boss's boss is, my boss might also have that, that page. Yeah, and it, they it, should. as it becomes part of the culture of the organization, it's leadership gold, I think. So uh, if you could just speak straight to leaders, like when, um, of the great advantage of just having that one pager for the folks you're trying to lead and maybe even specifically, what are some of the, where would your eye go first if you were doing a quarterly evaluation with someone and you had their plan, you know, what sort of questions might you ask that you might not think to ask if you didn't have that in front of you? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So, so um, probably the first thing I would ask, I'd say, let's talk about what you see as your next best move and how we can make available to you conversations, opportunities, either inside this community and inside this organization or in the community. So let's say you wanted to, here's an example. Let's say you wanted to get better at, you really liked being up in front of people and presenting results, but you know that you need, you need more experience. Well, maybe the opportunity to get all the experience you need isn't in your workplace right now. So how can you help suggest, facilitate, brainstorm, support, those opportunities. Maybe it's joining Toastmasters. Maybe it's joining an industry-specific group, professional group, or a professional like a, a group of accountants that meet, or somebody in this in our manufacturing of cardboard boxes industry. And so, how can? So, I think that the role of a leader is to understand, brainstorm, facilitate, support, give them time off to go to those meetings. Um, find a way to get out of this. You know, my goal. My my goal as a leader is to make sure you stay on task. Sure, that's a part of it. But as a leader, if you really want to be a leader worth following, you have to really have the best interest of your people at heart. Three hundred sixty degrees. Yeah, and that's and and so that's what I think is so hard. And middle managers right now are getting so squeezed by their bosses. Like when Elon Musk came out and said everybody back to the office, my heart went out to the middle managers. Because they're the ones, whether they agree with it or not, who have to who have to make sure that happens. So they're getting squeezed. And so it's very easy to fall into the tactics of getting the people in the door, keeping them there and put your thumb on them, but that is not going to work. Even though it might be counterintuitive, helping people reach their goals in a 360 degree way is what binds people to you and makes you a great leader. And there's a fear on the part of leaders that if I if if I ask people's input I have to do everything. So if I say to you, tell me three things you want to do in the next year and you tell me those three things and I realize two of them aren't possible, there's a real fear on the part of leaders of saying, you know, two of those are going to be difficult. We can talk about that, but let's talk about this one that I know we can help. So it's like it's like so I always think of when organizations do an employee survey, an employee satisfaction survey. Mm -hmm. This happened to me when I was in human resources. We do this employee satisfaction survey. And the results were bad. Of course, everybody knew we did the survey because they filled it out. And so they fill it out with 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 the the feel with the the thought that this is they're genuinely asking what i think i'm going to tell them well as soon as the leadership saw that the results weren't what they wanted they pretty much told me to forget we ever did it yeah right told me to bury it yeah so of course all these people are coming to me whatever happened with that employee survey you damage your culture exponentially first of all it's it's acting like my people are stupid because they're going to forget and that was, I think at that company, that was the minute I said, I'm done here. I can't walk authentically. And so I think managers sometimes are afraid to ask the questions because they feel like if the answers are something they can't impact, then they feel like they're not doing their job or, but the truth is when you ask people for their input and you consider it, they, those people that you ask, they also understand that you can't do everything. And so there is just this, instead of thinking about I'm smarter than you are, here's my people and I'm so smart and I'm at the top of the pyramid and I'm smart because I have a big job and I make more money than you do this. It's, it's like this now you have to look at your people as partners in reaching your goals. And in order to get people to buy into what you're selling, you have to think of them and care about them more beyond just what just what they can do for you in reaching your goals that then makes you look good. So I think there's opportunity in every organization. First of all, looking at what are your criteria when you promote somebody into a leadership role? How are you making those selections? How are you training them? It, and and uh, I think a lot of our problems are we have the wrong people in leadership roles yeah. who are making it about them, making about just achieving their goal. And they really are not good at managing those relationships. And that's where people start going. People are looking for authenticity. They, they're they watching yeah. what you're doing, what your manager's doing, what your manager's doing. And they will decide based on what they see, whether you are worth following. And if you aren't, they will check out. Yeah. And there's so much you can do. And this is a part of it. Just saying, what do you want out of your career? Where yeah. would you like to go in this organization? How can we help build your skill set? Not in the way the organization wants you to build it, although that's part of it but also what do you want to build how can we bring those two things together and help you get more of what you want out of your career and then by extension out of your life that's what build loyalty when i think of the best leaders i ever had that's what they did so well and the worst leaders i ever had it was all about them yep. and i think anybody you talk to would say that
1: i agree 100% it makes me think just the if we go back to the come back to the office situation uh if if you're I'm sure there's lots of, organ- I know this is a fact. There are lots of organizations where folks are, are struggling with that. And those in charge would love for people to want to be in the office uh, more because mm-hmm. that's what they're used to and how they like to lead and all, the- all sorts of reasons. And there are some, some things like manufacturing, you just have to be there. Right. But, but yeah. um but instead of having an edict to be able to have this conversation with the piece of paper and even for the for the manager to be able to say, look, I know you want to work at home. That's a value I want. I want to try to make that happen for you. But I want to show you how I see it. If maybe if you were in the office more, these things you want from me and from us might be easier. And even having a conversation like that so people could could opt in and make the decision together, obviously more collaborative than just. And then because I, I think people, if if they saw how one remote or office, any of these decisions worked into their their bigger hopes and dreams, it would be an right. easier decision for everyone, you know.
0: Yeah. And and no, I mean I can't really, I mean, that was well said. I mean that that's really what it is. You know, and and companies coming out and saying, oh, you know, we have a better opportunity for collaboration, for but you know, and and just, you know, if you're not doing FaceTime, we can't see your face in yeah. the office, yeah. you know, we might forget about you. And <laughs> what's so interesting about that is
1: it's like an if abusive parent using, response.
0: Right if, you, right. if you are using that as a reason to get this person A back in the office, you know, you, we might forget about you when it's time for promotions. If you don't know whether that person values being promoted or not, yeah. that's a, you know, that's, 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 a false, that's a false threat. It's like, you know, there are people who are perfectly fine doing what they're doing and all they want to do is keep doing it. And if, so you've got to come up with, you have to show where it's of mutual benefit. Yeah. And so a stick that says you're not going to get promoted is not a stick to a lot of people. It's like when you send your kid to his room, but he's such an introvert and he loves nothing more than being alone (laughs) in his room. Right. It's not a punishment. That's like, thank you very much. (laughs) So you, once you know your people and this is a benefit, you know, once you know your people and what's of value to them, then you can start connecting those dots. With value of being in the office at least once or twice a week. Yeah. Um, but you know, if, but it's if you really, really value that person's contribution, and there is no value, really, to them being in the office more than once or twice a month, you have to have the courage as a leader to stand up for that as well. Yeah. Because yeah. you're going to lose your very best people by you know by you know hitting them with a stick that they're like, yeah, that doesn't do it for me. I'm out of here. And there are plenty of companies out there that are and then the minute Elon Musk I keep coming back to that because I remember that day companies like just jumped went on LinkedIn and just start picking his people off yeah yeah and so I know he backed off of it a little bit because they were starting to lose good people but you can't know what's going to be effective unless you know your people and what they want and what they value and it may feel like it takes time to do that but Why else are you in a leadership role? You know, I mean, it's to, it's to reach a goal, some goals, maybe some productivity goals for sure. But who are you relying to get you there? You know, you can't just keep hitting people with a stick to get them there. That's just, that's, that's old leadership. And we're in, I would say we're in, we're in the period of watching the sausage being made right now. And it's ugly because everybody's trying to figure each other out. Um, But the more baby boomers, that retire and leave the organization and the more Gen Z and millennials who take over leadership roles, the more we're going to see this become more of a a flexible workplace, become more acceptable. And any manager or leader who's hanging on to that, if I can't see you, you're not working kind of management philosophy. Oh, I just, that just makes me crazy because it's, it's, you know, it's not rooted in reality or data either.
1: Julie, I love this uh uh we can talk more in the hallway, I guess uh but our time here is up uh Thank you so much for being a part of this uh for being a part of our platform for so many years uh if folks want to to reach out to you, what's the best way to to uh to get in touch with you
0: i i, I suggest that people connect with me on LinkedIn. You okay. could just say you saw the podcast. Um, or we are actually in the middle of re- redoing our website right now, which is, as, is about as much fun as dental surgery <laughs> on your entire mouth. me. Yeah. Um, but we do have a link up right now to our new program. Our, it's called the career catalyst, which is what I've been talking about. Um, it's right on the front page and um, check it out because I really think it'll help you get uh, rooted in reality and help get you unstuck, cool. which is there's a lot of people stuck right now. And um, I think we need to, it's a good kick in the seat of pants.
1: And that website is what's the Group.com. The B-A-U-
0: group.com. Uh-huh.
1: And Julie Balkey on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. In today's ultra competitive job market, top tier talent are leaving companies in search of top tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world class professional development system. Featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch-and-learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.